Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Jet. This is the Sustainable Culture Podcast. Hey, a couple really cool pieces of news for you. There is now a .com. Yes, you can now visit sustainableculturepodcast.com for everything related to the show, new updates, uh, episodes, events. There is a place to contact me. It also has a place where you can buy our merchandise at our fancy new Etsy shop, which is kind of our next bit of really cool news. We have stickers available now. We are sticker official. Every single penny that is uh, earned from these sticker sales goes directly back to the podcast and helps make future community trash pickup events bigger and even better. If you're familiar, if you're unfamiliar rather with the logo, it was designed by local artist Coda. You'll find a link to his work in the description and it was produced by local printers Vinyl Fire. I was really, really pumped to find out that we had a local printer that I could go through. So every purchase is supporting local endeavors in a very direct way. You can buy these beautiful things on our Etsy shop, like I mentioned, or you can physically visit our friends at Pilgrim's Market, or you can go downtown Coeur d'Alene and you can actually visit Emerge. Uh, either of those places you can find in their gift shops are stickers for sale. Really, really excited to have those available there. Now, last time you'll remember, we discussed Idaho's salmon situation with Mitch Cutter. Such an important topic, such an important creature. Few animals make it as high on the list as salmon when we think of critical cultural staples. Another hard worker of the animal kingdom, which is actually essential to human existence itself, is of course the humble honeybee. Now, I've been wanting to talk about bees on the show for so long. I'm so excited to do it finally. I was introduced to our guest today in in a kind of funny way. Some of you know I play music, sometimes live around town. Well, during an event at Emerge, I actually, I mentioned Emerge earlier, I got to see a local documentary screening about all the local artists involved in a recent Emerge event called the Ink Rally. Now, this is an annual event with a different theme for artists to follow every year. And one of the artists this year, Abby Henning, decided to take a bump in the night theme and somehow allow her bees and sunflowers to come out so magically and still work with that theme. And an interesting tidbit, she's a self-described novice beekeeper, if you will, although her definition of who is actually keeping who is quite refreshing. I'll let her do the explaining in the discussion itself. The point being, today's guest is a regular person who decided to do her small part in a very impactful way, and stories like hers are such a delightful reminder of why I started doing this podcast to begin with. So, Please allow a proper introduction of Abby Henning in today's episode 19, Abby and the Hive Tribe, Communing with Bees. Start 
just to get an idea a little bit about you and about you know how you kind of got to where you're at in a little bit just a basic question of sort of you know in your life i mean what's an experience that you can kind of remember if there is one i know there's like a lot of experiences for me that shifted me but but if there's one or a couple or however many you'd like to share with us what what got you moving in the direction that you're moving now so um you know i've always been (laughs) Um, a flower child, kind of like a gypsy. Um, I've been called gypsy many times in my <laughs> life. And, you know, I um, kind of quick scenario. I'm from New York, born and raised, um, lived in uh, Queens outside of New York City when I was little. And then we moved about an hour north of the city. And so city girl um but my mom was raised in new hampshire and my dad was raised in the bronx and so in the summer every year um, my sister and i were shipped up to this camp out in um the middle of nowhere in new hampshire on this lake gotcha and so even though i was you know city girl living outside of the city it was you know kind of going to camp that um, gave me, you know, kind of a month every summer from between the times I was five and, uh, like a teenager, I would go up to this camp and just loved it, you know, just, I mean, really resonated with me and always kind of stuck with me. Um, and so, you know, I was also fortunate at a very young age. Um, my dad worked for the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, and he was their chief economist. And so being living in New York, you're only kind of a jump across the pond to Europe. And so he was flown to Europe several times a year to um, kind of talk about economics. And we wound up living in England for a year when I was little. Oh, cool. And yeah. And so throughout my youth, we would go, you know, we, it was just easy to get to Europe. It was cheap to get to Europe. And we went to, I was really fortunate. We went to Switzerland. And so I climbed in the Alps when I was little and, you know, was kind of all over just, you know, kind of getting that taste for travel. And so it always went to Europe many times. And, Mm -hmm. um, he actually, my dad actually passed away when I was 18. He had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so I wound up kind of going rogue a couple, about a year after that and went to Europe and hitchhiked by myself for about a year and got wow. attacked in a train station <laughs> and uh, wound wow. up coming back to America. And then a friend of mine was like, well, you know, I was going to explore America and he was just like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't just go off in America. And I'm like, watch me. you know. <laughs> and so he introduced me to this woman who lived in Sun Valley, Idaho. And, um, she, uh, he was just, you know, kind of implored her to, you know, take me in because I was going to just go off to who knows where. And so she did sent me a free plane ticket <laughs> and I wound up in um, Sun Valley, Idaho, and was a um, a nanny for on and off for about fifteen years. And spent uh, the the family that I worked for owned a ranch, like a two hundred and fifty acre ranch in uh, Bellevue, Idaho. And I spent a lot of time, kind of 
you know, being, being out in the beauty of Idaho and really learning to just, um, find my space. And, you know, it's weird because, you know, when someone tragically dies in your life, someone, you know, a pillar in your life dies, you know, you either, you know, I don't know. I, I just kind of, um, through through life's lessons I guess learned that it had to have happened for a reason Mm. and had my dad not died I just never would have been in Idaho never would have happened that way I mean I was gonna I was a photography major at Rhode Island School of Design you know that was part of what my dad wanted you know growing up outside of New York City it's a very different educational world than it is here in North Idaho (laughs) yes very uh, much so yeah, my, my high school was called Suicide High because of the pressure, the academic pressure that was on people. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it was, everybody went to college. I mean, there was probably out of 350 kids in my graduating class, there's probably like, I don't know, 30 kids that, <laughs> that didn't go to college. <laughs> Some crazy things. So, um, you know, I was supposed to be, the plan was I was going to be a photographer for either Life Magazine or national geographic and i was going to travel the world and photograph and then my dad died (laughs) yeah another year of school and then you know dropped out and then worked and then traveled and then yeah so wow you just never know what happens (laughs) you really don't especially when you lose a parent i mean that's yeah it's not the funnest club to be a part of for sure no changes your life in ways that you would never you'd never can truly no. predict yeah no i mean you 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 grow up um in one you know just like a split second and i became my mom's parent and her spouse like all in one little split second wow and uh so yeah so there's that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that put the uh the bug of travel exploration nature all those things in my ear and then Sun Valley was a roller coaster I met my now ex-husband there and Mm. um he uh took us on a whirlwind of moving 20 times in the 15 years that I was with him (laughs) and uh, in during that time frame kind of wrapping up the end of my marriage um I had the opportunity to talk with um, an intuitive, um, kind of a, I wouldn't call her a psychic. Um, I would call her someone who's kind of in touch with the (laughs) spirits from beyond. And it kind of became really apparent that um, my dad presented himself as a bee. And I didn't know it, didn't realize it at the time, but when this person kind of brought it up to me, she always um, backs everything up with um, a lot of, you know, things that go on in your life, you know, say, well, this is what I'm, you know, this is what they're telling me, but did this happen? Did this happen? Does that happen a lot in your life? Do do these lights come on and you don't have any explanation? are there bees around you all the time? And it was just weird. I mean, I just hadn't really ever noticed it and had 
been collecting bees for quite some time and didn't even know why. And after I spoke with her, I, I went home and I'm looking around the house and there's like bees everywhere. Like I had been collecting bees and didn't even know why I liked them or just like I bees, like, like were you beekeeping or was it more like, like, no, no, just like, you know, I had this bee clock. I had a bee. Oh, like trinkets um, and like different things. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was tons of them around the house and I just never even didn't even connect, you know, and, <laughs> and when she said it to me, she said, well, you know, when I see your dad, you know, he represents as a bumblebee. And it was funny because, um, you know, seven years before I talked to her, when I had gotten married, we were, um, we got married in my neighbor's backyard in New York, upstate New York. And during the ceremony, this bee flew up into my, the tool of my dress and was in my dress. And we had to like stop the wedding and like to get this bee oh, off of my dress. And I was like, wow, that's really, really bizarre. That's so and she's just like, yeah, you know, just be on the lookout because if you see bees around, you know, that's him. And I was just like, that's so bizarre. And so about a year hmm. after, you know, we got divorced and I wound up um, losing my job and my daughter and I were, you know, really struggling financially and I was um, accepted into this kind of re-weatherization program where they come into your house and they'll insulate all your walls and put new windows in and all this stuff. And so they were insulating behind my bed in the house and all of a sudden, like, these guys come up to me and they're like, um... I think there's something you should see. And I'm like, okay. And so they bring me upstairs and in the wall behind my bed, like right where my head was, you know, like behind the, behind my bedboard, yeah. um, my headboard, there was a massive honeycomb. Oh, and no it was, way. It was probably about, and I'm not kidding. It was about two feet wide by two feet by probably about a foot deep. Oh my god. And it was it was it was completely around the insulation. It looked like a pillow. And it was exactly where my head lay on the other side of the wall. No way. I swear to God. And somewhere I have it. I mean it was just the weirdest weirdest Oh cool. Thing. So you kept it. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. I don't know where it is, but we did. We wouldn't have thrown it out. I mean, it would be, they were so freaked out. That, I mean, the guys were just like, "What? This is okay." That is amazing. Yeah. So he was he was kind of there. You're thinking, you know, like he's always. been he's been present always. always. Yes, yes, always. And um, you know, there's just been many, many, many instances where this has kind of you know been the thing. And so, you know. We just know that when we see bees around and they come, you know, they're whispering in my ear or they're, you know, anything. And the same with Keely, actually, my daughter. Um, they, you know, she'll be taking a final. This happened. She took, she was taking a final exam in math class and a bee just kind of came up to her, like right in class and was just kind of like hovering around her head. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's just been one of those things. I mean, I just always know he's there. 
when you know and it and it always happens i mean i'll be somewhere where something's coming up and i'm like okay dad you know just let me know you're here today and sure enough you know something will show up with bees and that's so cool <laughs> and, and i'll tell you right now and i know for those for anyone who's listening who has lost a parent you know i lost we lost my mom about three years ago or, oh, wow. or so and so like we you know yeah. there, i absolutely am right there with you on what yeah. you're saying like there's it no one who has not lost a parent mm. can fully understand this type of thing i think and, and even sure. not just parents but you know loved ones siblings right. absolutely kids yeah. i can i can imagine kids have heard stories about that too oh yeah like, for sure but you they're there and there's mm-hmm. well, i don't know the significance of the there-ness <laughs> but yeah. they are there and i yeah. i do feel that about my mom all the time and yeah i can absolutely relate with that you know, and the key is, you know, what I've learned is that you have to be open to it. You have to be completely because, you know, everybody intuitively kind of senses things differently. So some people will see, you know, see images. Some people will, you know, um, smells, you know, when mm. you're you smell something that brings you back to something. Those are intuitive type things that, um, you know, you, you kind of tap into your deeper senses and mine actually is writing when when I write I actually can or I'm in my most intuitive state so that's kind of a whole nother story <laughs> but um I just firmly believe you know I know it's it, it you know people may say oh so you know cliche everything happens for a reason but no that's not the case and I am a firm believer in that. And, you know, if if you don't believe in those kinds of things, then you're you're kind of selling yourself short, I think, because mm. you're not opening yourself up to the possibilities. I want to use kind of some of this energy actually a little bit because it's it's a I think it's a decently good segue into this idea of how you named your your bees, your hive tribe. And I've, I've mm-hmm. been curious ever since I, I first heard you do that. And I don't know. You know, and I thought, you know, how this goes, like sometimes with like song lyrics, you might make it into something that it's totally not. But I I heard Hive Tribe and I just, I I know that the word tribe is often used with a sense of significance depending on who's using it. And that significance can change and have different meanings. So I'm just kind of curious if it was there a certain significance to the, the name of like using the word tribe as part of the hive. And the other question too is, how does this work? Is Abby a member of the Hive Tribe or is Abby a keeper and witness to the Hive Tribe's experience? How is this working? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that question, you know, I was kind of resonating and I was like, huh, is it? Am I? You know, like, am I the keeper? You know, but I don't feel like they're keeper, you know, as per se, as they because they 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 keep us you know i mean it's like mm. the bees are keeping us alive so i How would true. say that you know i'm i've been accepted into their tribe and they were yes they were you know given to me and i you know they came from somebody else but you know and and i feel like you know i'm part of a bigger tribe like they're bigger than I am you know mm. I mean it's it's bigger than all of us kind of if that makes sense I, I um, yeah yeah you know so the garden kind of happened I'd had a garden um when we first moved in but 
living in Dalton Gardens makes it impossible to have anything other than lavender and evergreens. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's true. Everything. It's I've everywhere. So much it. yeah. It's lovely too. I yeah. Know it. So I had I had grown this garden when um, I'd grown a garden uh, earlier when we first built the house, but the deer really ate everything and so i've you know lavender is one thing that they haven't eaten and so i have quite a few lavender um plants i probably have about eight of them and they're huge and so i uh when COVID happened, I lost yeah. my job and I've been with this company for 10 years, kind of been one of the first three at the company. And by the end was, you know, one of 25 and had been instrumental in making the business what it was, um, mm. you know, kind of on a local level. And so when I lost my job, you know, I was devastated. I was part of that family of, you know, 25 people and had been for, you know, 10 years and yeah. well, the end of this relationship you know it was a job was, is a relationship especially oh for that long yeah and the people that you know i worked with were you know just really important to me and so mm. that was devastating and but i had spent that 10 years just throwing myself at it i mean it was just like everything was secondary to it my family felt secondary to it i mean i was so passionate about making that mm. this wonderful thing which you know i did but um when it ended i just i had no idea where i fit in anymore and i just was kind of lost and spent time on the couch and you know just you know my husband and daughter were like okay come on you know let's let's do something but then you know two days two days after my you know the i lost my job then the whole world got shut down and right. so i was like oh okay well i'm not the only one and so i can't feel sorry for myself you know <laughs> because you know this didn't just happen to me so a friend of mine that worked with me um, at my job called me up and he was he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You've been there forever. You're that business. You know, what are you going to do? And I'm just like, I just have no idea. And he's like, well, you know, you have that big backyard and, you know, we had talked about maybe doing a garden. He's like, I'd love to help you, you know, get you going on a garden. And I was like, you know, it's been a really long time since I had a garden, you know, and hmm the biggest fear was, you know, the deer. And so my husband's like, well, I'll just build you an eight foot tall fence. And I'm like, okay. And so <laughs> my husband got out there with chicken wire and he built a fence as wide as our property, which was 130 feet by 30 feet and eight foot tall. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm, actually thinking i completely blew off your question but i, <laughs> I <don't get> <laughs> you know what though actually i will i will just promote the the ramble because if anyone has okay. listened to anything i have ever tried to say anyone who i mean i I'll, i'm never able to stay on a point I, i've, okay, I've always got to come back to it so so okay, we'll come back, come back to it don't you worry okay. i got my notes <laughs> So anyway, we built this garden and, you know, it had always been my dream um, to have a sunflower, sunflower field in the backyard. And that was really what I wanted. I wanted a sunflower field because we'd gone out to Deer Park in Washington and they have these amazing sunflower fields over there. And I've just, oh my gosh, I've always wanted one. Mm. And so, um, you know, 
obviously in order to do that, you know, we had to have the fence and, you know, not everybody takes on 130 feet by 30 feet for their <laughs> first garden. So, you know, there was that and my husband, and it was all grass. I mean, it was, it was all grass when we started this thing. And so, you know, you're already fighting that battle regardless of whatever you're doing. And, um, so anyway, this friend of mine had sunflower seeds. He had a big, big box of giant sunflower seeds and he gave me the whole box. And that was kind of like his gift to me was this box of sunflowers. And so I planted the sunflowers and then we, um, so that was like a 30 foot by 30 foot section. It was kind of like one whole half of the garden almost or a third of the garden. Mm. And then on the upside, we planted a bunch of vegetables and just, just all kinds of different stuff. So, um, as the sunflowers grew, I grew some corn as well. And so later on in the summer, you know, I'm walking through these 12 foot tall stalks of these incredible sunflowers and the cornfield, which was, I guess it was about 30 feet deep by about, I don't know, six feet wide, maybe seven feet wide. And I would walk between the sunflower and the corn stalks and I was engulfed by honeybees. Mm. They were everywhere. They were just all around me. I'm just thousands of them just like buzzing around me as I would walk around. And it was just, it was just, I don't even, I can't even explain it. It was just like. It sounds like magic. Oh my gosh. Like something out of a fairy tale, you know? Yeah. And I would just, I, I wasn't scared of them. I wasn't like nothing. It was just. I was just like, where did you come from? Where, you know, and I'm just like, wow. you know, they're everywhere all over my sunflowers. And, the and you know, one thing I learned about corn is that every single um, silk on a corn stalk, on a corn cob, is an individual flower. And they each go to a single kernel. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And so the... Each one is pollinated. Each kernel is pollinated by bees. Oh. And so, I know, isn't that incredible? And so I had like all this corn and they were just, I mean, there's so many bees everywhere. And I just loved it. I mean, it was just like they were just humming, you know, like humming the wind, mm. humming this mantra, you know, of just, oh my gosh. And they, they, they just like swirled around me and just included me in this, peace and and you know just oh my gosh I just couldn't get over it you know and and every day I'd go out there and I would just like walk through them and it's like they're just brushing against me you know grush you know against my face and my hands and just on my clothes and I was just like whose bees are these (laughs) you know like I need my own bees you know because they're just reaping the benefits of you know the of these flowers and everything. And I was just like, I need my bees. You know, it's like, why have I not had bees, you know, until this point? I mean, I've always had bees. I just haven't had bees, you know, if that makes sense, you know? Right. (laughs) That's what cracks me up actually a little bit about folks who do more like urban or even suburban beekeeping of like, you know, you've always had them, but you haven't had them. I love that. Right. Yeah. And so, so I was just like, oh my gosh, I need to get bees. And so, I said, you know, I was looking up these hives or the, you know, these, uh, there's a thing called a glow or what is it? Flow hive. 
and it's um, they're based out of Australia, and they make these hives that have faucets on them, basically. And so they've got these little cranks that are all tied in with the um, with the uh, frames for your yeah. bees. And so, you know, it's like you don't have to do anything. You just turn the knob and you get honey, you know. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. cool, you know. And so, you know, you just like, why would anyone want to do all that work, you know, when they could just like turn this little knob, you know. And so <laughs> I, I showed my husband, I'm like, this is what I want for Christmas. And he's like, what? I'm like, I want bees for Christmas. And so I showed him the hive and it was like $800 for these hives out of Australia. And so I just kind of left him with that thought and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't ever ask for anything for Christmas. So I'm just going to go, you know, <laughs> it's like, ready, set, go, here you go, tag, you're yeah. it, you know? And so leave the catalog out on the coffee yeah, table, you know, yeah, I'm just going to yeah, set so, this here. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually found a generic um, maker of these hives and that was what I got for Christmas. It was a generic form of this flow hive. How and cool. I, oh my gosh, I was so excited. I'm like, all right, it's on. I have, you know, six months to learn everything I can learn about bees and I'm getting bees. <laughs> and so I started calling around to all these people and they're just like, well, you know, you kind of have to reserve them early because, you know, come spring, people will get them, blah, blah, blah. So I made contact with a guy in um, Post Falls. He owns Post Falls Honey Company. Okay. And he should be somebody at some point that you talk to because, I mean, I'm a novice. I'm a newbie. <laughs> Tim has been doing this for, I don't know, 15 years. Well, he is a wealth of information and oh. the coolest guy. I mean, so cool and loves his girls, you know, as he calls them. And was just... He's just been this mentor for me. I mean, I kind of think I'm a little bit of an oddity because I'm really kind of squeaky wheel. You know, I'm like, I was just constantly calling him even before I got the bees. Like, I was so just nervous and excited to have bees and just didn't want anything. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just want my bees so bad, you know. And I didn't even care about the honey. Like, I haven't gotten any honey. I've had my bees for nine months. Didn't even think that I, you know, wasn't didn't plan on or want to take any of the honey from the bees because it's theirs. I mean, they made it, right. they need it to winter on, you know, I'm not, I, you know, I put, I stuck a finger in there one time and just like tried a little bit. That's about the most <laughs> of it that I've done. I mean, it's, it's all there. So at some point I might start getting more than I, you know, even yeah. they can handle, you know, but that wasn't my intention. I mean, so many people have bees, you know, to sell honey or get honey, you know, that's just not it. I just needed to have them in my life, you know. <laughs> you just like, wanted bees to have in your life so yeah. that you could be a part of that experience. Yeah. Sounds like. And I just, they accepted me unconditionally in my yard, you know, and when I would walk through, you know, my field and, um, so he brought over my first mm. nook and oh my gosh, it was just, they were just beautiful. They were blonde, which is really super cool. They're super light in color. Oh, wonderful. And, yeah. And they just, they'll just like get right on my hand, you know, like I'll put my hand out and they'll just crawl right on my hand mm. and not even, you know, they just have no 
you know, no fear of me. You know, like when I'm out in the garden and I'm digging or I'm planting, they're just all around me like, hey, what you planting for us now? It's you know? <laughs> <laughs> just like they're so curious and they're just they're just awesome. And I just I feel so connected to them. And so when I after I got them, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to name my bees. You know, what are they? You know, what's their hive called? You know what? And it was just I was racking my brain. How Couldn't exciting. think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my husband and my daughter were just like, okay, you know, if you have them, why do you have to name them? And I'm like, really? I mean, really? You, you're going to ask me that? I mean, <laughs> so, so. in terms of, well, you mentioned is they, they're so curious. And I find that I've heard that kind of concept before from a mm-hmm. couple of different mm-hmm. folks that have gardens with bees. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm kind of curious, like, what's, what's, having a garden with bees in mind like i'm wondering what thought process like have you really like have you planted certain things in your garden with bees in mind and if (laughs) you know like what's that been like and do they kind of communicate in some way like if if they prefer something versus what they don't prefer (laughs) something like what is that like like give give me an idea what that looks like yeah so you know when i when i got the bees i was already planning on what i was planting for them you know i given I was planting sunflowers for them again. I mean, I planted them long before they, I even got the bees, you know, so that they would be, you know, there for them. Um, But everything that I was planting was for them. I mean, so the first year we had the garden, none of the vegetable, I mean, it was just a nightmare. It was constantly fighting like slugs and cutworms and everything was, they were just taking everything down. And I, I would have to replant and over and over. And they were just, it was just a nightmare. Oh. And so I was just like, okay, I gotta rethink this because I don't want this to be some nightmare experience. And, you know, living in Sun Valley on the ranch that I lived at, the woman loved perennials and I learned so much from her about propagating and seed collecting and so that was kind of, you know, the few flowers that I did have around my yard were all things that, you know, kind of I got a couple, I got some lupin, I got a couple of other things and then took the seeds every year and just, you know, those were, that's what I grew and that was, you know, kind of minimal. And so um, when I planted the sunflowers for the bees, I was just, I was just like, you know, I, I, got a book on bees and then I started reading all these other books on bees and it talked about, you know, the, the uphill battle of having bees in North Idaho is our winners, you know, Mm, I mean, anywhere else, you know, South Australia, Florida, you know, just anywhere warm, they don't have the struggles that we have here in North Idaho where, you know, it's a, it's a 50, 50 chance if they're going to survive the winter and a big portion of that is do they have enough honey to sustain them because they can't continue to you know pollinate flowers if they die and so right. um so that's you know that's your biggest thing is you want things flowering from the beginning of spring all the way through fall so that they can be pollinating and so you know that's my whole mission is to keep my bees alive and so it was just it was about, you know, first of all, growing things that were native because vegetables aren't native. And so when you're trying to plant broccoli or cauliflower or cabbage or any of those things that are so popular to plant, they're not native to North Idaho. And, you know, um, 
perennials are. And, you know, so many of the things, the medicinal plants that grow around here are native. And I just didn't want to fight nature. You know, it was like I talked to, <laughs> I, you know, with, with all my broccoli and everything was just like this, oh my gosh, this nightmare. I was calling the master gardeners, I called them. I called hmm. um, Department of Lands. I was getting information and advice from anybody I could. And they were just telling me that, you know, these are not native things. And if bugs are eating them, it's because, huh, that's new. I'm going to eat that, you know. <laughs> and so I just, it was kind of a cross between that and um, traveling down south. My husband and I um, kind of came across um a medicine wheel, more than a one, uh, more than a couple medicine wheels. And I started learning about, you know, the Native Americans and how they had these medicine wheels with their um, medicinal herbs. And it was this very spiritual place. Mm. And I said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do on the other half of my garden. I'm going to make a medicine wheel. So <laughs> what's I'm a plant? <laughs> can you can you tell me, can you explain what a medicine wheel is? So the Indians would plant um, these, you know, they'd have, they they were, you know, back then, I mean, there weren't doctors, there weren't medicine, you know, they lived off the land and they, um, you know, they sustained themselves with, you know, all of everything that was living around them, you know, yeah. and um, so they would plant, um, you know, they'd have these the medicine wheel is just kind of the shape of a garden. So it's a, it's a large round garden that typically has kind of like a path that goes like two paths that go across them, kind of like spokes in a wheel. Right. And it kind of splits it up into these quadrants. Um, and so typically, you know, these, you know, you'll, you'll find all these medicinal plants, you know, echinacea and, you know, calendula and chamomile and, you know, all of these salvias and uh, mints and, you know, just all these different things. And it's, it's kind of, you know, evolved. There's lots, you see them in, you know, you see them in spiritual places. I mean, I think they do them in England sometimes. And there's, there, there's kind of a, it's just this real spirituality of the medicine wheel that's, you know, kind of medicinal, but it's also, you know, kind of cathartic. And mm. um, it sounds like a sacred. Yeah, experience. exactly. Sacred. That's the word I'm looking for. So um, we I drew out a medicine wheel and I decided to I, I kind of moved all the perennials that I did have that were kind of scattered around the yard and I moved them into this circle. And so in one of the quadrants, I have echinacea, bee balm, which is, you know, some of these plants. Um, I started reading about, you know, also about bees and like what plants they liked and what plants attracted them. And so it was kind of a, a combination of the two, you know, what I wanted to plant for them. Mm. But it was also going to be this place, you know, kind of trying to create a sanctuary for myself as well as them. And, you know, if I could build the garden big enough, then they weren't, they wouldn't have to forage as far and potentially eat, you know, like get poisoned by somebody's you know, spraying something horrible. Gosh, and so, yeah. um, you know, because bees travel anywhere from three to five miles away from their hive. And so, you know, everyone's there's always somebody spraying you always see that truck driving down the road you know with spraying something and roundup and all that stuff and so the more i could keep them home 
the less I'd have to worry about, you know, that. So that was kind of how that happened. And, Hmm. you know, the whole, I still hadn't come up with the name and, you know, just the whole tribal aspect of, you know, creating this medicine wheel and, and bringing my land back to, you know, its native roots. Um, You know, I just felt like, they're my tribe, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I'm doing this for them and, you know, they in turn, you know, so that they can live and prosper. And, you know, just, I felt like they had accepted me, you know, into their tribe and hence the hive tribe. So <laughs> that's where that came from. <laughs> Took me a while, but I got back. That's a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're back now to, I think that was, what was that? The first or second <laughs> yeah, yeah, question yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. One of these times, I do that too. I'll go in a really, really long, but it's a big circle, but man, we yeah. made it. <laughs> but you know, life is a big circle, you know? So. Ain't that the truth. As far as, as far, you kind of touched on it a little bit, and I, I know you don't necessarily have the comparison to make from like having bees without a garden versus just having, you know, like having all of it. Right. Because um, you said you had a garden first. And so I'm wondering like what, what kind of, I guess I'll reword what my original question was with this is what kind of, I, I suppose what I'm wondering is, related to experience you know you you had mentioned something really profound kind of almost like it almost sounded like an ex- a spiritual experience walking into your garden and having these bees all around you and everything mm-hmm. like that yeah. so i'm wondering what the experience has been like more from a long-term day-to-day i have a garden i have bees and i have had them for so so you know so long how long mm-hmm. have you had your bees now um, about nine months. About nine months. So, yeah. you know, I'm wondering what that experience has been like in terms of, uh, in terms of just like having all of it with the garden and the bees. And I'm wondering <laughs> what you might have learned in that process. So one of the things that I do, which is kind of funny, but I go out there and I photograph, um, my, the morning pollination. <laughs> oh, cool. So, so, uh, you know, any given morning, you'll see me out there, you know, you know, when everything's in bloom, just photographing the bees. And then I'll post it on Facebook, morning pollination, you know, and they're, just, <laughs> they're just so busy and they just love their flowers and they just, you know, they're just, uh, it's just such an amazing thing, the hive. I mean, they all have their job. They only live about. 30 days a bee only lives about 30 days mm-hmm. um the the queen bee can live you know up to four years um 
And so it's just this short span of working to support the whole, you know, I mean, it's like their whole purpose in their life is to support, you know, their tribe. I mean, (laughs) and it's, it's an incredible, you know, it's just so fascinating to watch and you just wish that our community, you know, we all had communities like that, like they did, Mm. that's how they used to function. You know, when you think about like wagon trains and all of these things, you know, they supported one another completely Hmm. where they all played a role and they, you know, that's how, you know, that's how civilization became, you know, what it is and how it, how it survived for so many years. That's true. And, um, it's all about the community. I mean, you have the, you have the the drones and you have you know the queen bee obviously but there's so many other bee jobs in there you know there's some that just kind of clean the front gate you know so like when other yeah. bees die it's their job to just kind of bring out the dead <laughs> you know <It's> like <laughs> Monty Python bring out the dead you know that's kind of their bring job, out your you dead know? Yeah, exactly yeah you know they're the gatekeepers just clearing <laughs> the space of the dead bees you know just like keep them but you know there's the there's the you know the the drones and I mean, there's just, they all have their role and they're born into it and they die doing it. And it's, it's dedication. It's, you know, synergy, I I think is the word that comes to mind. Well, you know, you're talking about how everyone is like doing their thing and in times, you know, I think about, I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Covey's work at all. He wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's He writes, his specialty was synergizing, well, synergy in general, mm-hmm. like synergizing yeah. we- a lot of different people's personalities and everything like that into a group that works really well together. And for that matter, synergizing a lot of different philosophies into mm-hmm. something that makes sense. Hence the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People yeah. in the First Place. Um, yeah. You know, he talks about that book, for example, just a quick side note, in terms of like, you know, he didn't write anything new per se. He just put it all together. And so right. when he yeah. talks about people working together and you talk about the bees working together, and I wonder what it would look like, you know, if a community could uh-huh. do this. There right. are some communities that work really well together. I would even yeah. say akin to bees and stuff like that. Yeah. And it cults cults work really well. <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know great chemistry you know right? just really got their stuff figured out yeah. and yeah. you know covey talks about like oh my gosh this is so funny i have to take a second on that one but covey talks about how you know with through synergy and through that coexistence if we can just figure it out and it really does depend you know there's no secret like there's a one secret but he was talking about how through synergy, you can really prove that two plus two doesn't just equal four. It can actually equal a thousand, in his words. Mm-hmm. It can, mm-hmm. you know, like if you have two people or more than more than that, if you have a whole crew of people and they are synergized together, they're really together and they're actually working together, not just on a mental level, but on a, this emotional level. Like you are sharing an experience together. Right. That, that you can create this society that is so far surpassed merely teamwork. And instead, yeah. it's this coexistence. And bees are such a good example. And I just love how you point that out. 
Yeah. I mean, look at look at what's happened to our nation, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's just this, oh, my God. I can't. I, I cannot. We can't talk about politics. <laughs> I can't. I can't go there. But, you know, I. it's interesting that you bring up the seven habits because at my job, through the 10 years that I worked there, we would read books together and talk about them. And the first one that we did was the seven habits. Mm. And we would spend, yeah, we would spend the entire year, you know, connecting with that and, you know, relating to it, following through with it, you know, and that was, um, we were just, you know, we were a really great team, you know? I mean, it's just, you feel like you're part of something that's building something and it's, it's a really amazing feeling, you know? I mean, you come home each night and you're just like, God, I just want to get there and just keep going. You know, it's like, what can I make (laughs) do happen tomorrow? You know? And I was really worried about losing that, but you know, I've found that again in myself. And so that was super important, but it's, I've, lately have felt just really um so sad about our country and Mm. how you know all i want to do is just like go to congress and go to the white house and throw them all a leadership book and say read this freaking book man (laughs) you're the leaders read the goddamn book yeah you know what are you doing yeah be with us here well, and, you know, and, and something that I'm I'm realizing that uh, I was actually I was thinking about this on the way uh, home, getting ready, you know, keeping this some of our talking points today in mind. I was like thinking about our talk and just kind of mentally prepping. You know how that goes. Like after after yeah. work, you're like, all right, out of work mode, into yep. interview mode. You know, next, yeah. next thing. And so I was thinking about how when it comes to the bees and everything, we're learning from we're learning so much about how community could work i think so Mm -hmm. many so many times when we look at nature and we look even there's whole scientific fields uh that are dedicated to you know called biomimicry i don't know if you've heard of that so cool Mm -mm. oh if you ever get a chance and for anyone listening look up just google biomimicry and some of the stuff just youtube it even and the whole art of that is looking at nature and seeing how can we incorporate some of what nature has gotten right into our existence and so Hmm. we've looked at different things all kinds of stuff has already been looked at and so in many different it's funny we're talking about bees because there's actually a lot of team working type things that i think could do a lot of benefit uh, gain a lot of benefit uh, from (laughs) maybe looking at bees i think they could look at that perhaps like a training program or something like that so so I'm I'm thinking of all this in terms of like, you know, we're personifying a lot of what bees behavior is. I think because we we really generally speaking as human beings, we really try and learn from our natural world the best we can. There's such a wonderful teacher. And mm-hmm. and so I want to use this as a weird strange segue into one of our last points, which is talking about community in general and sort of the identity of it. And one of the kind of common points that I'm sort of thinking about through through this winter season is what creates what members reside within a community. Like what, how do we define those things really is what I'm trying to say. And so Mm -hmm. 
when we think about bees and, and of course I, I'm gathering of course from like you talking and telling stories about how passionate you are about your hive tribe and and uh, the garden and and I remember watching your art you know the uh, mm-hmm. art documentary and you took that opportunity you said you know this is a cool art show and everything but I'm going to talk about <laughs> bees <laughs> I thought it was so cool because clearly this is passionate this is a passion that you have and you see these bees as some piece of belonging in, mm-hmm. into your world, into your existence. And so yeah. what I'm wondering is, you know, this is more of a just for fun question because there's no solution to this question per se. But it's just kind of like, as someone with your background, as someone who keeps a hive tribe, what do you think it would look like? I mean, how, how would it look to create a, a society, a community where there's a reverence a sense of reciprocity that we feel obligated to, to these beings that we live around, you know, and it, it is not just related to bees, of course, it's related to mm-hmm. the trees and your sunflowers, you know, what do you yeah. think that might look like, let's say in Coeur d'Alene, just to keep it mm-hmm. micro? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it just, it, you think about how did we lose that, you yeah. know? Because that was the case. I mean, you think about the cavemen, there were hunters and they're the gatherers. And, you know, I mean, it's always been the case. And you look at, you know, South America where there are still tribes, you know, and there are still, you know, communities that live that way, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, they isolate themselves from the outside world because why? Because those places don't do that and they don't care. You know, they've allowed money and all these other power and whatever it is to distract from community, you know, and even the family unit has been destroyed. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, I think I knew one person whose parents got divorced. You know, I mean, my entire family, my extended family on my mom and my dad's side, I think there were only like one divorce. I mean, I didn't know anyone and I had large families. I mean, my mom's, my mom's mom had, you know, seven siblings. Her dad had 10 siblings. My dad's dad had, you know, eight siblings. You know, there were so many siblings and so many cousins. There wasn't a single divorce, you know, and because that was family and that was important. And now people get married just to go out, you know I mean? It's like, it's, it's just become, <laughs> you know, they're like, Oh, let's just get married. Oh, let's just break up. You know I mean? It's, it's not even like family, you know, you're saying that matters. the significance of, of what family is, has been lost. The is roots that right? of it. Yeah. And the, the tribe is a family, you know, they have, I mean, you look at any tribe, any, you know, native Americans who, you know, they have those who hunted and then there were those who protected and there were those who made, you know, did this and there were, you know, everybody had their job and that job was done for everyone. Mm. You know, yeah. they didn't just do it for them, for their family. They did it for the whole tribe. And, you know, the only time those, you know, those stopped were when people who didn't understand them and felt threatened by it just brought them down just because of their own power and their own selfishness, Mm. you know? 
And, you know, I grew up watching Little House on the Prairie and they all helped each other and they all, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Jim Bob. who's I watch? Yeah. <laughs> Night Danny Boy or whatever their names were. I don't even remember. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's true. I mean, in Peru and all of these places, they still have tribes that exist that sustain themselves. And, you know, they don't let the outside world in and they're so deep in the, you know, the outback of, you know, the jungles and everything because they don't want to be bothered by, you know, man coming in to destroy them because mm. they don't want to, you know, because they don't understand it or they just want to come in and reap something off of them. You know, I mean, yeah. it's no different than it's no different than, you know, poachers. It's no different oh. than a poacher, you know, going in and destroying herds, you know, I mean, because the herd, they have they have their their system and they have their protector and they have the hunter and they have all of those things, you know, and it's just yeah. I don't know. That's that's community and that's building community. And, and I thought that, you know, when when COVID happened, I mean, which no one ever thought could happen, but when you saw all these people like you know, singing out their windows to each other and all of a sudden, like, <laughs> taking notice of their neighbors. I was so optimistic that this was going to end on a note that brought people together, right. you know? Some kind and of strange blessing in disguise, yes. some kind of cure for divisiveness in yeah. some way. <laughs> and yeah. it should have. It totally should have. And what happened was political and despicable and disgusting and it's all about power and narcissists. And mm. it makes me sick to my stomach to watch it. You know, I mean, it just. Yeah. Oh my God. So you're saying like this whole what I'm hearing you say, at least, is this whole viewing your your hive tribe, viewing your <laughs> bees and everything, wit being a witness to them welcoming you into their presence and just like doing their thing. Like bees are so inspiring to watch. And yeah. I 100% am on board yes. with, with what you're saying with that. Like anyone who's ever watched bees work, it is it is a wonder in the true it's extent incredible. of the term. Yeah. It's truly incredible. And seeing that, it, it makes you really look at our society going like, well, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. what happened? Because in micro scales, there's many examples, like tons and tons and tons, especially throughout history of, of villages and tribes and things like that, especially t even to this day, of course, that work super well and, and yeah. are doing great. And when yeah. we look at a tribe, like a, a human tribe or like a hive tribe, if you will, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it can't help but remind you of where some of this has just kind of evaporated. And I'm yeah. hearing what you're saying yeah. uh, with that sentiment. And I, I, I can certainly sympathize. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, when Facebook came about, you know, it's, it's so hard to explain to kids today that there was life before these social media things. I mean, it's just like, well, there wasn't that. What do you mean there wasn't that? Like what? what did people, how did people connect? <laughs> it's like, well, they actually <laughs> talked to each other. I don't know. They went and saw each other and they communicated, you know, it's like, I don't know, but it, it has, I mean, it, it creates its own communities per se, but it's not real and nobody, you know, people lose track of the connection and doing for others 
and yeah. it's you know now it's now what we're in survival mode of you know people just bashing each other just to bash each other you know wh- where did that even happen you know i mean <sighs> it's true i mean every time we so kind of get involved in a conversation about community it always comes back around to social media one way or another yeah. because it's become such a a standard i suppose yeah. into what how we communicate like what we talk and it's it's of course i i there's many conversations that we can open up with that with social media at some point in many conversations i hope to talk about social media quite seriously in many different long conversations because it's true i mean there's a lot of disconnect that we get from each other and i i it's it's been interesting asking this question because there's there's been different responses from different people based on different backgrounds and i think it's mm-hmm. really fascinating because it really touches on a central topic when we talk about sustainability that oddly enough i find it odd that we don't mm-hmm. talk about very often is that mm-hmm. our relationship work which is work mm-hmm. our relationship yeah. between each other which is work takes inner work to even happen and so right. we've not to open that too much up but just we the idea of creating a community and coming together and working together we were talking about synergy between bees and stuff earlier and how can we mimic that into society and where did that get lost and all that this type of stuff i i love talking about because it's it, to me it inspires me to watch the bees it inspires me mm-hmm. to you know, look at people like you and and like people like who are just like passionate about this stuff, like Mm -hmm. watching you in this art, local art documentary that I saw, you said yourself, you're a novice beekeeper, you know, you're part of this hive tribe. And I absolutely dig that. And it's stuff like that, that I look at and go, you know what, expertise, sure, I want to talk, I want to talk to, I want to talk to experts about stuff. And and I do that on this show sometimes. But at the same time, it's like, I want to talk to folks who have ideas and see community as a thing that we have opportunity to lead us to i want to i want to talk to people that have ideas about how to get us to these different dreams whatever those dreams might be because we each have different goals and mm-hmm. this type of question is really interesting because for you you see the opportunity where did we go wrong and that's the yeah. first angle I've seen at that answer to this question. So I just really appreciate mm. uh, where you're coming <laughs> from in the honesty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just makes me sad, you know? It's like, I just feel sad by it, you know? It's like this kind of, I never thought that I would feel beaten or, <laughs> you know, like by our world, you know? I'm just, I'm so proud to be an American and, you know, we, we fly, we've, we fly flags at our house. You know, my husband was in the military for 22 years and we have a huge, you know, kind of brethren of, you know, his comrades and things like that, you know, and I just never ever want anybody to forget that they fought for our freedom and, you know, why America is who it is, you know, that they just didn't want to be, treated the way they're being treated and felt like it was okay to find a place where they could just kind of become their own free place and look at all the people that have died for that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but they did 
as part of a community. They did it because they, that was their role in, you know, they were the protectors. I mean, that's part of the role. So earlier in the season, I had the conversation with uh, Mitch, who is uh, Mitchell Cutter, who is a salmon expert. And what he was talking about was the idea of keystone species. And he was saying how, you know, keystone species is something that we could certainly, in a conversation one day, many days, of course, talk about redefining perhaps, you know, what exactly keeps a community together? And in his case, he was talking about salmon, and you can provide many different examples of what the, how salmon has kept diff- many different communities together throughout the years. And so bees, right. gosh, bees, of course, it's, it's like bees are this fabric <laughs> of yeah. life in so yeah. many different respects. And so yeah. in regard to what you're saying, I, I just love these reimagining conversations about like, you know, mm-hmm. we could talk about that in the regard of the keystone species redefining, you know, what right. what creates a community, what holds a community together. And in so many ways, bees are the inspiration of what a wonderful, synergized, beautiful, coexisting community could look like, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You should watch um, The Pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think we watched it on, uh, the discovery network, but I think, you know, you can find it on YouTube or something like that, but it's, it talks about the whole bee issue and, you know, so the, um, there are these beekeepers that travel around the country with semi trucks with all the bees, like for the country, basically Mm. these bees, these massive, massive, you know, millions of bees are, are like transported back and forth across the country to pollinate these major crops that, you know, sustain our culture, you know, our, Mm -hmm. our country. I mean, so the biggest pollination happens in California for the almond, um, the almond trees. And so they drive them there for like two weeks, I think, and let them out and then kind of move them around and then take them back across the country to pollinate, you know, whatever they're pollinating somewhere else. And the, it's just so fascinating how they cover the story. You know, they, they, they have people like up in uh, kind of the Midwest. I can't remember if it was like Wisconsin or Missouri or Minnesota or something and you know these farmers are talking about you know how they're trying to um kind of bring you know there's there's just all this how we've come to where we are is that people you know these farmers have to spray to make their crops produce and produce to a point where people will want to buy them, you know, so that the apples look good or, you know, what have you. And if they don't spray, then they don't look that way. And then they don't, you know, people don't buy them. And so, but if they spray, it kills the bees. And if they don't spray, it doesn't grow the product. And so it's this constant, you know, just battle that these farmers are trying to like kind of, turned it around and they say that you know this whole shift happened a lot of it happened when they were trying to create 
other forms of, of um, fuel. And so all these farmers, in order to like sustain themselves, started growing corn and soybeans so that, you know, the kind, you know, they would be, people would buy them, you know, the, the, the government would buy their pro- produce. And what happened was they weren't turning their crops. And so it breaks down the, the quality of, of their soil. Mm. And then um, it's not growing things that, you know, bees are pollinating as much, you know, it's, it's killing, you know, the natural um, like perennial fields, you know, like the fields of weeds and all of those things that are like medicinal that bring the pollinators, you know, and so they're trying to kind of research how rotating and integrating what they grow so that it's constantly kind of supporting itself Mm. and will in turn eliminate, you know, having to spray potentially because it's the spraying that's killing our environment. You know, I mean, it's like on so many levels, it's killing our environment. Not only is it poisonous, but it's also killing our bees. And it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's a fascinating um, documentary and the guy that I got my bees from said he felt it was one of the best bee documentaries that he's seen in terms of like you know how they cover it from all different angles and stuff oh. and yeah it's interesting we should take a look at it bee documentaries really do never get old <laughs> yeah yeah so well, what's and uh... we're, we were watching a documentary on mushrooms I know there's oh yeah there's this really famous mushroom guy Paul Stamets Olympia. Yes. Yep. yep. I have I have his powder. <laughs> oh, excellent! I'm <laughs> reading one. Doing... I'm reading yeah. one of his books. Um, it's not fantastic fungi, but it's a it's another one. But yes, I'm I'm mm-hmm. reading one of his books. And they're doing all this research on how mushrooms could potentially save the bees. You know, in terms of building their immunity and oh, doing wow. all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought the powder. I'm waiting for them to give me the go ahead so I can just start. Oh my gosh. Life. That's so cool. I love learning about all these connections <laughs> to things that give us life. It's just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what's, what's next? I mean, for you in the mm-hmm. hive tribe, you've talked, well, just briefly about humble bee apothecary. And I want to make sure mm-hmm. to give that a little spotlight and plug. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's, what is next for you in the hive tribe? Where can people go to find you in your work? So, yep, um, I'm on Instagram. We just kind of launched it yesterday, actually. It's humble.b.apothecary. Love it. And, um, and what kind we, of stuff uh, do you do with, a, with Humble Bee Apothecary? So last year, Keely and I, my daughter and I, we, every year, gifts are always handmade in our house. You know, we just, that's what you do. You know, I remember we'd started early on with, Keely, all the birthday parties she went to, and every time there was a birthday party, there was like a $20 gift that I had to like spit out for another kid. And I said to Keely, I'm like, you know, we have so many things we could make at home. We need to just start making gifts for your friends. And so that's what she did. And so she started at a very young age. Every birthday was a homemade gift. And so she, (laughs) she got on a, she got on this thing where we started, I would go to, uh, the local cigar shop and buy cigar boxes for $2 a box, you know, strip mall thing. And so she would, we would buy these boxes and every time there was a birthday, she would embellish the whole thing. She would paint their name on it. She'd put beads and paint it. And they just 
loved them. And so that was kind of how it started. And then she got into duct tape. And so then she started making everybody duct tape wallets. And then, you know, it was like one thing after another. But now, <laughs> this year, last year, we harvested all of our lavender. And we made these eye these eye pillows, like lavender eye pillows. And we must have made about 20 of them. And we gave them out to, you know, all the friends and loved ones and things. And everybody just love them and we love making them and and you know people are like wow where did you buy this one like, no we made it and they're like whoa that's so cool <laughs> so we thought you know we should start making these and selling them and she works at you know emerge now and they have a retail spot that's making it you know a really great place for people to um you know sell their work i've sold just a ton of things there over the last year I've been getting back into printmaking and making cards. And, um, I've made these birds nests with metal and, you know, just kind of a variety of things. But, um, we started with the eye pillows and then we also did, um, some heating pad, like larger ones. And they all have lavender and buckwheat and flaxseed, um, in them. And so it's kind of a, a weighted heating pad, but you can also, put it in the freezer also but it just has these you know this lavender that's uh, all you know out of the garden and hand hand <laughs> sewn and hand picked and you know locally well home pollinated you know? <laughs> and um so you know and then the other thing is that i have all these perennials now and all these mints and all these medicinal things and so i really wanted to get into doing um teas so medicinal teas with all the different things that i'm growing and so we made our um, first three different kinds of teas. And then we're also going to be doing um, some bath tub teas. So it's kind of like a bath salt, but it's in a tea bag. So it doesn't like get flower droppings all over your bathtub. It's actually just contained to like this big ass tea bag. Kind of thing. <laughs> and awesome. um, it's all about just, you know, kind of using what we have and passing that on to people, you know, and with gifts of, um, you know, just kind of like infusing our creativity into the things that we make and just kind of infusing it with what mother earth is giving us, but we're kind of, kind of teaming up with mother earth to mm -hmm. kind of pass these things on. So, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. I love that. That's yeah. so cool. So <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, it was so <laughs> and much for fun this conversation. Time, yeah. <laughs> I, I when I saw your art piece and uh, well, namely the video. When I saw the video <laughs> and you were like, it was just such a funny moment. You were like, "Yep, I'm going to talk about the bees." I was just like, "I have to." Yep. I'm, I knew at that point it was such funny timing because I yeah. think like that same week I was like, "Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. I'm starting to." get motivation for podcast stuff again i'm starting to think you know think of people that i want to uh invite over and everything like that and and i saw your bit <laughs> about talking about the bees and your your whole art piece was about you know like centered around sunflowers and the bees and i'm like yep gotta have her on the show gotta talk to her so that was nice. such a it was such a cool thing and an inspiration nice. for me to to see um, you know, I hope you'll forgive just the, just me telling you like you're uh, what I see as a, a very astounding regular person doing really <laughs> wonderful things. <laughs> well, I completely appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
That'll be it for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope Abby's story inspires you as much as it does me. Be looking out for the next episode coming out New Year's Eve, actually, Friday, December 31st. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share to help the show. That is a very effective way to support us. I've been Jet. This has been the Sustainable Culture Podcast. I'll see you next time.